1: Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. Coming at you Thursday night after game three of Wolves Grizzlies. A nine point Wolves loss that saw the Wolves get up by 26 points in the second quarter and have that lead slip away to seven by halftime, only to blow the lead back up to 25 points in the third quarter. And then watch that slip away not so slowly through the third quarter. And fourth quarters. It was two separate 20 point leads that the Wolves had that were just sort of decimated by chaos in this one. They yeah, they really blew this one and are are in danger of blowing a series that they very clearly can compete in. You know, we talked after game two about how despite Memphis blowing them out by twenty eight, how it how it didn't really seem like the Grizzlies had found solutions for stopping cat and ant. You know, that seems pretty silly in hindsight. Like the Grizzlies, again, loaded up on Ant, and he was, again, not the player that he was in the play-in game or game one of this series. An added factor there of him hurting his knee on the second quarter that affected him to, to some degree. But the cap part, you know, that was probably the most naive. I I didn't think in game two that the Grizzlies were doubling cat with the same effectiveness that the Clippers did. It, you know, it seemed, it seemed solvable, and that was... Uh, that that was clearly wrong. Well, what happened was that Memphis, is, Memphis ratcheted up their aggression, with which they double-teamed Cat. They didn't even bother playing Steven Adams for a minute in this game. Started Kyle Anderson in Adams' place in the first half, then put Brandon Clark out there in Anderson's place in the second half. and it And it worked excellently for Memphis. That aggression led to Towns only taking four shots in the game. That was his lowest shot total of his career. But it also worked because it, again, got Towns in serious foul trouble. He, he racked up offensive fouls again. When he, was, when he was asked about that career low shot total after the game, Cat's first response was next question. I, I followed up on that a bit later, asking, you know, just trying to you know, wrap our heads around why the shot volume was so low. The only thing I could really think of was intentionally trying to be a decoy. And, and when I posed that to Cat, he seemed a little bit more receptive to that idea. Um, I do know you, you can parse the words as, as you take them, but here's Kat on how Memphis guarded him in this one and why he was somewhat okay with only taking four shots. Carl, you've said during the season when teams have guarded you this way with doubles all over the floor that you're comfortable being a decoy if that opens up things for Anth or for D'Angelo or for your teammates. Is that what you saw happen tonight?
2: 26.8 the right plays, you know, double team comes, make the right play, hit ant, hit low don't force the issue. Um, I know game one, I tried to make that pr- regular season hero pass over the, over, the, over the head, didn't make, it wasn't a good idea. I learned from that one turnover and, you know, now I think you see, you know, ball gets in the post, uh, I get the ball in the post, they, they come for the double, easy, draw them out. Just like me and KG talked about, draw them out, get them more, even farther away from everybody. Throw the ball to the top of the key or to the to the wing again, but don't do it over the head. Just get it over there, and uh, let you know let those guys make the play and 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 make the shots. And and we did that. We did that early on. We had twenty six, and by twenty six, feeling good. So we 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 saw a recipe, you know, and we saw something that was working. We just got to exploit it
1: more. I think the frustrating part about that answer is that it's mostly true. It it was working to just take on the double. And pass out of it to shooters or drivers that did help drive the wolves leads they built in this game. but what what the wolves needed from towns, their best player is to be more than that. It's like we always talk about for cat, you know, making the quote unquote, right play is not always the right play because he's the best player. Cats said that himself before. And tonight, at any of the points when the game was unraveling, the Wolves needed Cat to make the quote unquote wrong play and still find ways to score or drive offense even if he was being double teamed and that didn't happen. You know, I think that's a fair expectation of the best player on a playoff team. But but Cat was unable to deliver on that because a lot of those unraveling times came when he was just on the bench in foul trouble. And even if he was on the floor, he was he was in foul trouble so he was so concerned about committing fouls that he couldn't or wouldn't go get a bucket he he didn't even try to due to that fear it seemed I still don't think the Grizzlies have a matchup for Carl Anthony towns in in the series if he's not overthinking but if he is overthinking if he is in foul trouble like the Grizzlies very clearly do have an answer for him it's just it's kind of this simple Memphis does not have a matchup for cat if he's not in foul trouble but they very much do have a matchup for him if if this is going to be this version of him playing in foul trouble. And, you know, I, I really, I don't know what you do with that if you're Chris Finch, because let's be real. It's, it's more likely than not in each of these games that cat will be in foul trouble. I'd say it's, you know, it's about a 60% chance a night that, you know, one of these games cat will have fouls and he'll have to go to the bench. I mean, he, He is a chronic fouler. Cat had the third most fouls in the league this season. That's kind of just is what it is. You know, the the way he plays, he fouls a lot. That's just true. And it's true for Jaron Jackson Jr. too on the other side of the matchup. Jackson Jr. is one of the two players in the league who had more fouls than Cat this season. He will also more likely than not be in foul trouble every game because like Cat, Jaron Jackson Jr. is a chronic fouler. Even if those two don't feel that their style of play leads to a ton of fouls. It doesn't matter because the refs do. They, they they have for years. Jackson Jr. was second in the league in total fouls this season, and he was second in the league in total fouls during the 2019-20 season. And Cat being third in fouls this year is no surprise. He led the league in fouls in both 2017-18 and 2018-19. I mean, for both Cat and Jackson Jr., like they've been the most prolific fouling big man in the league Every year they haven't been hurt. And even those other years, it's not like their fouls per game dropped significantly. They just didn't they just didn't rack up huge totals. They're they're both great players in their own ways, but this is definitively part of the package with them. It just is. And I don't know what you do with that if you're the coach. For Taylor Jenkins, it's less of a problem if Jaron Jackson Jr. isn't their best player. And the Grizzlies also are pretty deep with Biggs. You know, Jackson Jr. leaving the game doesn't kill them when they can go to Clark or Anderson or Tillman or Adams. The Wolves are not pretty deep with Biggs. They only have Nas Reed. And Kat's also just better than Triple J. So the pain of Cat consistently being in foul trouble, it, it hurts the Wolves even more. I think The real question here, and this series is riding on it, is... Can Cat change who he has always been in terms of fouls? Cat was asked that question after the game. Here's Cat.
2: You said you want to do whatever it takes to win, but it seems like what it will take to win for you guys is fewer fouls. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, I mean, is there something you can sacrifice to commit fewer fouls or somehow work around it so that this situation doesn't happen for your team? Uh, I just, I got to, you know, we got to watch film. Uh. I gotta watch filming. I'm uh, just trying to do everything it, it takes um you know even crashing from the outside you know i have stopped that just to possibly take any idea of giving me a foul out so um, just uh gotta work through the adversity honestly, that's really it. Uh, just stay with each other, like I said before, stick with each other, stick with God is here, believe in what we've done all year and, and continue to believe in it through ups and downs like this, you know, this one hurts, it hurts a lot. But um, I think we've had games this year that we've all seen that those those losses hurt and we bounce back. So hopefully, you know, I hope that we could do the same thing right now.
1: That's not exactly an encouraging answer because there's not really a acknowledgement there of the things Towns needs to change when pretty obviously there are things he does need to change to be able to say in the game, right? Now, at the same time, just because he didn't say it during a press conference doesn't mean that definitively won't happen. But I don't know how we, again, go into any of these games not thinking it's a 60-40 split. I think there's a 60% chance in any given playoff game that Towns will get in foul trouble and a 40% chance he won't. I mean, thus far in three games, it's been two foul trouble games and one without foul trouble. You you throw in the play in there. It's three of four games where cat has been in substantial fault. I saw a stat on Twitter. He has in in three of these 4 postseason games, he has more fouls in the games than he has made shots. And that's something Chris Finch will need to plan for. It would be naive not to. And, you know, to, to move the conversation, I guess a little bit away from cats, foul trouble just because it's kind of depressing you know, let's, let's move to Finch in this game. And putting my finger to the wind or Twitter, this, this seems like the most frustrated the fan base has been with Finch after a game, specifically when it came to his use of timeouts tonight or lack thereof. And personally, I never really know what to do with that. We tend to, you know, like, praise coaches for letting their players play through a rough stretch when it works, but also rip them when their players play through it and it doesn't work. I mean, tonight it obviously didn't work. In hindsight, of course, Finch should have called more timeouts. Finch did let the Wolves play through what became a 21-0 run in the second half. Here's Finch when he was asked about why he didn't go to timeouts when maybe it seemed like the game was calling for it.
2: Uh, how did you kind of try to use your timeouts in, in the middle of that run? It seemed like I think you got to maybe 21-0 before, mm-hmm. uh, before any. Well, I was, you know, it burned a lot early, so I was hoping that uh, we would just be able to kind of, get through to the fourth uh, a little bit deeper beforehand. So how do you think your guys can recover from? I mean, we'll, uh, I mean we can recover fine. We played really well in spurts. You know, we got good looks when we, you know, probably uh, you know needed to make them under game pressure,
1: just didn't. Um, you know, we had done a great job containing the drive with Morant
2: pretty much all game that at the end, you know, we, we didn't, we got, got to the free throw line. That's the other thing. A lot of silly fouls, let them back in Fouled fouled 94 feet. We
1: fouled a lot, just, um, on those drives, I think the most complicating part of this game that makes the analysis a bit difficult is that Finch and the Wolves also did have some things that really went well in this one. You don't you don't get multiple 20 point leads in a game without executing parts of the game extremely well. I mean, obviously, the parts of this game that burn into our mind more right now are the bad parts. But you know, soberly, we also saw things that work, even even if those things didn't sustain for four quarters. Like, the Cat passing, out, I mean, it's it's hard to look at Cat's box score and only see four shots, but for the most part, Cat passing out of doubles, that thing, it, it did work for the majority of the game. You know, Pat Bev was also very effective going at Ja Morant on offense, and they did limit Ja offensively for three quarters of this game. Jared Vanderbilt also had a very good game after being played off the floor in the last game, and D'Angelo Russell had far and away his best game of the series you know the task for Chris Finch now in the next 48 hours is figuring out how to lean further into those positive things for game 4 while also you know mitigating the obvious problems that arose in this game. We're going to take a quick break here and then come back talk some more about the things that we did see work and you know ask ourselves how sustainable the element those elements of this game were and whether or not they can kind of sustain through games four or five and and so on in the series. All right, we are back discussing the Wolves' nine-point loss in game three against the Grizzlies. And I want to I wanna focus on some of the things that the Wolves found in this game that could you know, prove to be valuable moving on in this series. And I think the one that really sticks out to me is Pat Bev offensively having his way with Ja Morant. And I, I thought that was huge and could remain huge in this series. As Wolves fans have seen right, all season, Like this isn't a total shock that Pat Bev was a playmaker and attacking. He's been, you know, he's been a far more impactful offensive player this season in, you know, contributing in a variety of ways, scoring, passing, shooting. Pat Bev has been a playmaker this season. And, and he's done that by showing the ability to take guys off the dribble and get into the interior of the defense, presenting himself as a threat to penetrate and kick or just to penetrate and score. And, in this matchup against John Morant, that, that's particularly valuable in this series because it makes Morant work on the defensive side of the ball when he's already being tasked with a huge offensive workload. I mean, the Grizzlies, they'll call a spade a spade. Like, the Grizzlies are trying to hide Morant on Pat Bev. And at least in tonight's game, and particularly in the first three quarters, they made Morant work. And that, that work, it, it slowed Morant down in this game. Here's Pat Bev when asked about that matchup
2: after tonight's game. You went right at uh, Jha, uh, uh on defense, and I'm just wondering, that's worked really well. Is that is something, was a you know, goal going in? No, I, I, took, I took that upon myself. I like that matchup. Yeah, I, I like that matchup. I feel real confident there. Uh, I took it upon myself, watched film with my trainer, seen some openings that, I, you know, the last two games I can take advantage of, and I tried to do that today. If that is
1: a matchup that Pat Bev likes and if it's one that he can consistently exploit in this series, that could go a long way for the Wolves because there's there's nowhere else you can hide Morant. The one, you know, other quote unquote hiding spot in the Wolves starting lineup is Vanderbilt. you can't put you can't put Ja on Vanderbilt because Vando will punish him on the glass. It right, it's kind of a similar situation to the Wolves with D'Angelo Russell on defense this year, right? We have seen D'Lo be a very effective free safety on defense this season when there is a matchup that allows D'Lo to hide and sort of play free safety. But at the same time, during the regular season, we've seen the Wolves struggle defensively when their opponent has five offensive weapons out there at all times that need to be attended to. But that's what Ja had done in this series previously, right? He had been there free safety. He took, remember that big charge he took on Cat in game two that that took Cat out of the game. That was because Ja was a free safety in the, la- in, in the lane. And we've seen him be the off-ball guy effectively loading up on Edwards when it looks like Ant is going to drive, right? He comes over to the other side of the lane and shows his body there. That's because Jaw was effectively hiding. But by making Morant respect Pat Bev or whoever he's guarding, that will have positive externalities on the Wolves' offense as a whole because in time, it will loosen up the lane for Cat and Ant. And having the lane available is obviously a prerequisite for the Wolves to win in this series. It's, it's how Cat and Ant get going. And if both of those guys don't start rolling on offense in game four, like the series is probably over. We, we've talked about Cat and, and how the prerequisite for him, in addition to that, is is, is staying out of foul trouble. But with Ant, like they obviously need more from him too. His pre, other prerequisite to success is not falling in and out of focus in the midst of a game. That clearly happened tonight. Ant came and he went. As we saw many times during the regular season, Edwards has a propensity to go in and out of being locked in. And the Wolves can't afford that in this series. They need those consistent ant sparks throughout the course of the game. I think the hope here is that whatever happened to his knee in the second quarter is what led to Ant's tepidness for the rest of the game. We've we've also seen that throughout the season with his knee and We just know if an injury is bugging him, he plays less physical. It becomes pull-up jumpers for Ant. He's not getting to the rim when he's hesitant with his body. And to win this series, it's very clear that the Wolves need Ant to be impactful as a three-point shooter. They need him to do work in the mid-range, and most importantly, they need him to get to the rim. Ant's skill set should allow him to be the one player on the Wolves who is the hardest to take away. I mean, if Ant doesn't dominate, I'm not sure how the Wolves dominate in this game. There was there was no word from Finch after the game as to what exactly happened to Ant's knee. And, you know, the hope has to be that it was the knee that was holding him back in this one. And and that whatever has that was, whatever that injury was, has gone away before Saturday's game because the Wolves need him. I mean Saturday just top down, Saturday just has to be different. They need more, they need more from everybody and that's, of course, the roster, the coaching staff. And, you know, I think it, that includes the the environment at Target Center, the fans. It, it, I mean, it was definitely loud at Target Center tonight. And Those of you who were there experienced that. But it, it's so clear that the Wolves players feed off the crowd, right, for better or worse. Like, the Wolves did go on huge runs in this one, and the crowd played a role in fueling that. But there were also times when the Wolves, you know, the Grizzlies are at the line, and the Wolves bench is trying to get the the fans loud and going in the game, you know, and that didn't come. Having been in Memphis for the first two games and then coming to Target Center for this one, honestly, I thought there would be more of a home court advantage in Minneapolis than I think there was tonight. You know, probably a factor in that is just the massive swings of this game. I mean, the the downswings were very deflating. But I thought the advantage in Minneapolis would be bigger than it was in Memphis, and I thought it was about the same. At the same time, though, I, I think that'll change on Saturday. Tonight's game was a weekday, and it was an early start. There were clearly open seats when the game was starting, and Saturday should be different. I, I'd expect a wild crowd from,
3: you know, it's a 9
1: p.m. Saturday night start. And I think these are not normally the things I point to as X factors, but I think this that could be a big difference in this one. I think a wild Wolves crowd could go a long way and sort of like providing bumpers for the Wolves players, something that that energy that sort of prevents Memphis from going on multiple sustained runs like they did tonight, just by just by taking away the momentum of the environment. Also, like we got to do better than Believer by Imagine Dragons for fourth quarter pump up music. Like The the crowd just has to be up. If, If Wolves fans know anything, they know nothing is promised in this league. The playoffs are not promised. Nothing is promised with the future of this team. And I think, I think that's important to realize. And I think it's, I think it's important for the fans to realize that and deliver. Like oddly, I really do think the environment at target center is going to be a pretty big X factor in game four. All right, let's wrap this up with uh, a few notes from the game by going through my prize picks in this one. Um, I stunk at my picks so I went one four and one but I actually think like going back thinking about what I thought when I made those picks and and seeing what actually played out is is a pretty good example of this game not having played out the way I think many of us expected it to go you know for example I, I took the under on four and a half points and the under on five and a half rebounds for Jared Vanderbilt in this game you know not be he averaged more than that during the season it wasn't that's not a crazy stat line but Vanderbilt only played nine total minutes in Game Two because he got played off the floor. That didn't happen tonight. Vanderbilt totally delivered. He played 32 minutes, had 10 points, 13 rebounds. You know, we saw that like Rodman version of Vanderbilt in this one. So I missed my Vanderbilt picks, but I also took the over on three rebounds from Malik Beasley and the over on 11 and a half points, rebounds, and assists for Jaden McDaniels. To me, kind of the opposite of Vanderbilt. That seemed like two players who seemed kind of primed to be in line to play a bigger role in this game, right? Given what we saw from them in games one and game two. But Beasley was limited to just three rebounds, so we pushed on that pick, and McDaniels finished with eight points, two rebounds, and one assist, so we, we missed that pick by half a point as well. The other pick I got wrong was just dumb. I, I took the over on one and a half made threes for Kat. I, I think that's a way <laughs> that he can get offense and get shots off in this series is just by decisively catching and shooting at the top of the key, you know, let alone maybe mixing in a little bit of an off the dribble game that leads to creating his own shot from three. We didn't see that at all in game three. He didn't even take one and a half threes. He took one three in this game and missed it. The one pick I got right was the over on four and a half points for Zaire Williams and Williams finished with five points in this game. So overall, bad picks. 1-4-1 and one on my prize picks tonight bring me to 4-7-1 and one on these picks in the series. If you're feeling like you're getting a better feel for this series as it goes on, uh, fire away at some prize picks if you do not have a prize picks account yet. Listeners of this show are eligible for a $100 sign-up bonus if you sign up using the promo code Dane at checkout. That's about all I got for you in this one. There are obviously adjustments that need to be made by the coaching staff but honestly i think the best thing for most of these players is probably just letting this one go you know listen to the adjustments put them into the game plan but forget this game right it can't it can't linger the the wolves are on the razor's edge right now of the playoffs. saturday is obviously a must win if the wolves have aspirations of making this series a fight and they should we watched these three games. Are the Grizzlies way better than the Wolves? No. The good news is the Wolves can win this game four. The Wolves can win this series. Memphis does not have their number the way Houston did back in 2017-18. From a basketball standpoint, at least in that in that series back, Tibbs and Jimmy, the Wolves were always facing a huge uphill battle, just given how much more effective the Rockets were as a three-point shooting team than the Wolves than that Wolves team was. All this Grizzlies team really has on the Wolves is physicality and the ability to punish them on the glass. Straight up talent. I mean, Jaw is excellent. But I think it's pretty clear the Wolves are the more talented team. Question is, are they going to be the wiser team? Are they going to be the team that leans further into their strength and strays further away from their weaknesses? I don't know, to be determined. But I think it's very fair to say they can be. Can the Timberwolves, led by their best player, Carl Anthony Towns, be the more mentally dialed-in team? That's what this series is going to come down to. It doesn't feel like the answer to that is yes, you know, in the shadow of this game, but the Wolves can play a game where they don't beat themselves, right? That's the question going into game four. If the Wolves do a decent enough job of defending the rim and rebounding the ball, they will win game four if they don't beat themselves. And I don't... I don't know what that's going to be, right? 64. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be fascinated to see what happens, and I will be back to talk to you after that game. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling,
2: man. I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it up so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah.
3: Don't let Santa Zipper Alva bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah.